Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. All right, fellas, we are one and four. The Owls dropped yet another game in North Charleston this weekend to the Charleston Southern Buccaneers by the score of 13 to 10. I am joined in studio, as always, by my partner, John Finer, and for the first time in two weeks by Mr. Nick Parada. Fellas, how are we doing today? Man, I can't complain. Uh, how are you doing, Nick? Hanging in there. It's a tough weekend for, for a lot of us, but the future's bright. Yeah, well, you were taking a week off last week. Do you want to talk about uh, what you did or anything like that? Yeah, I went down to Hilton Head uh, with my fiance and her her parents. Got to spend some time on the beach, you know, watching college football on the beach. Get a little, you know, get reset from the high school football season and uh, got refocused for our game against Westminster this past week, which we lost a heartbreaker 9-3. So, but it was nice to have a vacation and take the weekend and, you know, get re- refocused. Lots of yeah, Lots of field goals there, Nick. Um, something we'll be talking about later. <laughs> I was going to say it was a high school fall break, right? Uh, ours was not. Most of public school was, um, but we just happened to have a bye, so it worked out well. Yeah, gotcha. and I'm and I'm glad you spent you know some time on the beach, um, which segues perfectly into some <laughs> conversation uh, from Mr. Kai Millette. Um, we must applaud Kai for taking the solo voyage from Kennesaw to um, Charleston, but unbeknownst to him, um, he read the owl howl too late and he ended up in North Charleston. So from what I understand, Mr. Millette was expecting a nice few hours at the beach and ended up in North Charleston. So Kai, just just tell us about your weekend. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, I love making these trips. That's like half the reason I do this is to go to random places and, you know, see a new school and take in a new game day experience and that kind of thing. And I had never been out to Charleston Southern and I was under the impression and I feel guilty for not knowing this being the big mid-major basketball guy that I am, um, that Charleston Southern University is not in fact in the Southern part of Charleston. It is in North Charleston where I had been before. Um, and had nothing but uh, not great memories of. So, yeah, I made the five-hour drive out there, which um, no disrespect to any of our listeners from South Carolina, but the drive from Kennesaw to Charleston or North Charleston uh, doesn't have a whole lot between here and there. So it was uh, it was a long one. Um, the game day experience was sort of rough. I want to give a shout-out to uh, my new friend Tom, who was uh, running one of the KSU tailgates. Um, before the game, I got there and they fed me well. So, you know, that wasn't so bad, but then I get to the stadium and none of the workers knew what they were doing. Um, we were given no instructions on when or where to pick up our press passes. So, uh, we were (laughs) left scrambling, um, me and the two other people who made the trip (laughs) just from Kennesaw in general. And, um, yeah, so it was off to a pretty rough start. Um, if you didn't know, Charleston Southern essentially plays in a mid-tier Texas high school stadium. Seats, I would guess, no more than five or 6,000. Um, it's really, really small. It was good to see uh, some of the Kennesaw fans fill up most of the away stands as small as they were. Um, but yeah, it was another example of a, 
a press box at an FCS game where most people in the box were more invested in the state's SEC team uh, that was on the TV in the corner rather than the game uh, happening right in front of them. So, you know, I was getting a little hopeful when it looked like things were going our way in the second half. I was like, you know what, it's not pretty, but going to get to leave with a win at least, you know, and kind of see all of these people disappointed. But, you know, that didn't happen. Um you know, stayed at an Airbnb out in the Goose Creek area. Uh, can't complain about that and made the trip back this morning. So, oh, yeah, and uh, forgot my lap charger, laptop charger somewhere in North Charleston. Um, not back at the Airbnb, uh, not in my car, not here, not there, not anywhere. So, yeah, just uh, rubbing salt in the wound. Um, and now I have to record this podcast on my phone for the first time ever. So, Big uh, shout out to John this week for doing some more of the uh, behind the scenes work that I would usually be doing. Yes, I'm Kai puts a lot of time into the prep for the outlines of the show, that sort of thing. I did a lot of that this week. Um, just touching on your experience, Kai, you know, it doesn't sound like it was the worst time, but it doesn't sound like it was the best. Do you regret going? Would you do it again? Um, I would. You, we talked off the air about this a little bit and you said like if the results were different, would I have done it again? And honestly, no, I didn't go in expecting much. Um, I just wanted to experience a new school and go to Charleston. If I had known that Charleston Southern was in North Charleston um, sooner than a day before I left, then things might have been different. Yes. <laughs> and I found out about that as well, about when I uh, posted on Twitter. If you saw my Twitter rants about calling Charleston Southern phonies, because they're not in South Charleston, they're in North Charleston, which I I just did all this research. Like I spent a half an hour Googling this, trying to figure out, okay, are they separate cities? Do they have separate mayors? Apparently, yes, North Charleston is its own city from regular Charleston. And, uh, you know, a, a follower of mine pointed that out just before, th that got me even interested in this in the first place. I'm like, wait a minute, that sounds fraudulent. So then I just went down the rabbit hole so thank you to uh, one of my followers. His account is private, but he's a professor, I believe, at Kennesaw State. So shout out to him. And thank you so much for giving me that tip. Um, too bad you didn't tell us a couple of days earlier. Might have saved Kai some hassle. But, uh, you know, um, it, the weekend wasn't the worst for him. I just wish we could have gotten the win. So, yeah. I will say uh, it's a bizarre campus. Um, it's like a gated beach community. And all of the buildings look like those beach condos that you would see down in like South Georgia, North Florida, just on the coast. And you come in and you're like, what is this place? I didn't see any students anywhere around. Obviously it was the weekend, but the whole place just felt dead and left me with all of these questions like as to why Charleston Southern chooses to fund uh, division one athletics <laughs> with their facilities and fan support. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and then they beat us and it's like, uh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, not that we're in the position to talk crap, but we're down. They're still down. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, not the greatest impressions of Charleston Southern University. Did you check out their basketball arena, which is, I think, one of the smallest in the country? I did not. Uh, disappointingly, I was planning on it, and um, I needed to get back to Goose Creek, which was like a 20-minute drive from, you know, the stadium. And I didn't have time to roll by it and wasn't sure if I'd be able to get in or anything. But I, I am aware of what you're talking about. So 
my last question for you is, did you see any geese in Goose Creek or is it another lie perpetrated? No, by there were, Trump's there were a couple. That was true. There was a, a lake near the complex that I stayed and uh, there were definitely geese. Then they so. East Creek, not Goose Creek, still alive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, thanks again. Shout out to Kai for making the trip to the, to the game. I did not go. I thought about it, but you know, work and everything like that. It's just a big effort. Um, so I'm going to give the uh, game rundown of what we saw just to kind of refresh everybody. Uh, then we're going to go right into the conversation. Um, so see, it opened up. CSU uh, got a touchdown on the first drive. They marched the whole field. Um, it was sparked after a prayer toss-up throw on the first set of downs uh, that would have gotten KSU's defense off the field. Uh, that led to 7-0 CSU after one drive. Uh, KSU drives down the field on the next drive into CSU territory, but a fourth down play gets absolutely blown up. The Owls get nothing, turn it over on down. So um, the next uh, Owls drive, fast forwarding, it's still 7-0 Buccaneers. Preston Daniels drops a perfectly thrown ball by Jonathan Murphy. Uh, that would have been a touchdown. Uh, on the next down on fourth down, uh, Jacob Ulrich uh, misses his first career field goal, 30-yarder. Uh, um, after taking over for Connor Cummins. So we're already have a bad taste in our mouth. Two negative plays there that should have both resulted in points. Um, still seven, still seven nothing CSU on the next drive. Uh, the first bad snap of the game happens on the next drive for KSU. And uh, the Owls are put in a third and 25 and have to punt. So, you know, bad snaps was a trend in this game. We'll talk more about that later. Um, on the next CSU drive, uh, Owls freshman uh, cornerback Jerico Washington got away with a pass interference and KSU has to punt. Uh, the Owls get the ball back with 135 until halftime and things just fell apart there on that offensive drive. An illegal snap penalty on Al Hogan. Oh, yeah. And a false start from Carson Kemp. And then the second bad half of the second bad snap of the game by Hogan and the Owls kneel it down and take it to the half seven nothing. Um, the Owls came out of halftime blazing. Um, Isaac Foster returns the kick to the 34. Carson Kent, 20-yard grab on first down. Alexander Diggs, another first, followed by Tykeen Wallace with a catch at the seven-yard line. Uh, this subsequently set up a third and nine from the Charleston Southern Six. When we call a timeout on third down, where we get three yards and then have to kick a 20-yard field goal to get on the board. So at that point, it is 7-3 uh, uh, CSU. Uh, the very next drive, Owls DB Chance Campbell is called for a face mask, then a pass interference, which allows CSU to get the three points right back on a 41-yard field goal. So CSU takes a 10-3 lead early in the third quarter. Uh, the Owls take the very next possession, move the ball uh, solely via Michael Benefield and Jonathan Murphy on the ground to get a touchdown to make it a 10-10 game. Uh, the Owls appear to have the momentum. Uh, keep in mind that KSU used their second timeout with 3.02 left in the third quarter. Uh, we start the fourth quarter on the very next drive. Um, Jerico Washington drops a fairly easy interception, but the Owls defense holds and forces a punt anyway. The next drive, we move the ball down the field and get a third and one at the Charleston Southern 15. And this is at least the third bad snap of the game from Al Hogan. Uh, the Owls choose to attempt a field goal on fourth and two, and Ulrich misses from 32 yards. Absolutely, you know, devastating. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's still 10, it's still what, 10 3 at that point. Um, 10 10. 10 10. 
And then, um, oh no, no, it was, it was still, it was still 10, three, I believe at that point. So was it uh, not after the Murphy touchdown? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, uh, Kate, I think Murphy has it coming up here in a little bit. Um, oh, let me see here. Murphy in the ground. User. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is 10, 10 at that point. Uh, so CSU then turns it over on downs in no man's land at the Owls 37, giving KSU the ball back with 707 to play, but we go three and out and punt. Uh, Charleston Southern starts their possession with 515 to play in the game, and it's tied at 10, as Kai said, and uh, returns the favor with a three and out, giving the KSU, giving KSU the ball back with uh, 416 left. Uh, if you wanted to guess what happened next, yep, another KSU three and out, giving Charleston Southern the ball with uh, 319 left, but they are pinned at their own five and one timeout with the game tied at 10. Uh, Charleston Southern completes a 16-yard strike to get to their own 21, and that was a first down play. So they were pinned very shortly. Um, the Owls then force a third and two, but CSU converts their own 38. Uh, KSU forces a third and 10 at the KSU 49, and they hit a 18-yard pass play to get into field goal range at the KSU 31. Um, KSU, CSU makes two more attempts to add on some yardage, but with the clock running low, they eventually decide to just kick the 48-yard field goal. The Owls called their last time out to ice the kicker. Didn't matter. He nailed it. And CSU wins uh, with two, se well, two seconds left on the clock. The Owls then can't obviously score with two seconds left. And CSU wins 13-10. to 10. So that's the summary of the game, the depressing tale that was the Owls and Buccaneers. Um, we'll take it to Kai first. What are your initial thoughts on the game? Yeah, uh, we were given chance after chance after chance to take control in the second half. Um, I was mostly encouraged by the way the offense moved the ball in the second half. I thought the running game, despite Benyard being out, was actually pretty good. Uh, Clemens, uh, Diggs, and Benefield really picked up the slack, especially Michael Benefield, he had some really, really nice runs um, to move us into the red zone and through the red zone. Um, but what ended up making the difference was uh, two missed chip shot field goals and a really, really poorly timed um, uh, center and uh, quarterback uh, exchanges that cost us possessions. So I think we just about outplayed them for uh, – two and a half quarters going from the second quarter up until about halfway through the fourth and put ourselves in a position to win. And we, we just couldn't finish off the game. Yeah. And Nick, what do you, uh, what were your takes? Yeah. The first, there's a tale of two halves. The first half, even the first possession, you know, that third and 10, their quarterback takes off scrambles, just kind of, it almost looked like he was throwing it away and just kind of chucked one up and we just kind of got lost in coverage and uh, they get the completion, which extended the drive we didn't get a stop the rest of the time. Just felt like we could not. We kept getting them in third and long situations, and they just kept, you know, they just kept converting. We couldn't get off the field on third down, give up that first touchdown. Um, you know, the missed field goal, the the the, the kicking woes continue. Um, we've made a change there, and you know, two missed kicks obviously ended up playing a, a huge role in this game. Um, I thought the rest of the special teams looked really good. I thought. Uh, punting lot. I mean, light punt team's been lights out all year. Um, Isaac had a couple of really nice returns, both in kick return and on punt return. He had a nice punt return on the before the last drive as well. Um, and then you know, you, you're kind of watching the game, and we we can move the ball and we get down in the red zone. And then, like you said, we have the, a perfect play executed with Preston Daniels kind of slipping out into the flat or kind of on a little wheel route. And no one, no one takes him. Murph hits him right in the hands, and and Preston drops it. So that was a heartbreaker. We end up settling for the field goal, which we miss. 
Um, so that's seven points off the board right there for us. Um, just seemed like we couldn't sustain anything. We, we would move the ball, we'd get down in the red zone, and then, you know, the poor snaps, which I'm not going to put totally on Al Hogan. I think a couple of them were definitely high and wide, but there were a couple that Murph was trying to go ahead and get into the mesh before he had caught the ball. Um, so, and then once it happened once or twice, I think it became a little bit of a, you know, something that we were looking that, that becomes a bit of a mental issue when you're looking at it of, oh, I got to really make sure I'm focused here. But the second half was encouraging because we came out on that first drive in the second half, go, go right down the field. Um, I saw some formations that we hadn't seen all year from coach Klanakis. Um, saw us getting into some, some more trip sets. Um, then they, they kind of brought, came back and brought things back in where we have the two tight end sets. So definitely saw the playbook opened up a little bit more. The run game was, was there. Murph looked really great running the ball as always, but definitely felt like we were pitching the ball some and, and really, um, getting pl plays extended. And then, yeah, just the, the last couple drives, we punted back and forth. We couldn't, couldn't get anything sustained. And then the, the, I thought Markeith Montgomery played a fantastic game, uh, on defense, um, he had some unbelievable plays um, in the backfield for some TFLs, played really well in coverage most of the night. And then the one, you know, the one play down on the five yard line looks like we we pressured off the edge and he kind of went underneath the running back on a on a sprint out, which it was a perfect call by Coach Burton that that blitz is designed to kill sprint outs. And uh, if, if Marquise stays high, I don't think they complete that ball. Now it's second and 10 from your own five. Who knows? Maybe we we get the ball back one more time. But you know, it, it's never one play. It's always six or seven plays throughout the game that end up making the difference. And you never know when those are going to come. And uh, we just didn't make enough plays at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I mean, I think we were four of fifteen on converting third downs offensively, and you know, our red zone efficiency was definitely down. So overall, um, disappointing to not come away with points on a bunch of those possessions. Um, but there's still some positives that you're seeing the offense move the ball when they need to, which is not executing when it comes to finishing the drives. Right. And Charleston Southern is not a great offensive team. That being said, I mean, if you take out that first drive, I mean, you give up six points. And one of those was that long field goal at the end of the game when you're playing off of the receivers and, you know, giving guys better looks. And then, yeah, even on that first drive, like you said, I think they had two third and longs where the quarterback just escaped the pocket and threw up a prayer and uh, both were converted. And those are just, you know, absolute deflators on defense. So, you know, uh, I was actually encouraged by the defensive performance. They couldn't get anything going on the ground. I think they had like 79 yards total rushing. So it wasn't all bad, but the offense couldn't pick up their end of the, the deal. So, yeah, it was it was just, you know, disappoint. You know, it's just disappointing. We just it's like we find ways to lose. And that's becoming a, tr a little bit of a trend this year, unfortunately. Um, so I kind of, you know, took and just let everything out in a word document last night i wrote up a uh, i guess a, a monologue so to speak just a absolute you know brick of text with just some initial thoughts about you know because everybody's calling for you know the future you know fire brian bohannon every week it's it's the same thing and it's not productive because he's you know he's got three more years on his extension and all that kind of stuff you know but i i kind of wanted to put out my thoughts as opposed to just send a block of text on Twitter, It'd be easier to do it here. So um, as I discussed earlier, I'm giving Brian Bohannon a hundred percent pass for this year. Uh, before you guys say anything. Yeah, we absolutely suck right now. Um, this is the, probably the worst team in KSU football history. Everybody knows we suck. I'm sure the coaches know right now we're, we're playing like crap. The players know we're not getting it done. It is what it is. Uh, we just, but also we aren't progressing, you know, game by game. 
Um, and that's what we talked about earlier in the season on the podcast. We wanted to see some progression, uh, especially when there's not much else to play for. Uh, we've gone far enough this season to where I think we can say that, and what we touched on just a few seconds ago, losing seems to be in this particular team's DNA so far. And it's really hard to change your team's DNA. Like you have bad, you know, bad snaps um, and handles by Murphy, uh, missed kicks, dropped interceptions, you know, just blowing timeouts. Um, it's just becoming kind of a habit now. Um, it's not all on the players. It's not all on the coaches. Everybody, I think, needs to do a little bit better of a job. I'm not getting concerned about the losses or the record, but I am getting a little concerned by the lack of improvement so far week to week or even regression from week to week. Uh, if you look at the Chattanooga and Furman games and you look to, you know, they're much better teams than Charleston Southern and last week. Um, so, you know, we absolutely need to show some sort of progression next season in 2024. Um, or I think Bohannon might struggle to get to 2025 with another complete disaster like this year. So, you know, like I said, this year, 100% mulligan, but next year we need to see, you know, some kind of progress. Um, this is a tough situation to be in as a head coach. Uh, they changed our entire offense. Uh, we probably have little to no NIL money to pay players when other teams in Conference USA will have that money available, some quite a bit of it. Um, even playing field. Yeah. My ass, but we can either sulk or we can adjust and out coach and outplay and out effort and figure it out. Um, in addition to the new offense and lack of NIL, we have to start being competitive quickly against a much le tougher level of competition in conference USA. Uh, we won't have the Presbyterians or Robert Morris's to pad slow starts. Uh, this is a big ask, but improvement has to be made next year. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we'll be good next year, but we need to look like a decent football team from time to time and show flashes much more frequently than we're showing right now. Um, I don't envy Coach Bohannon at all. I'm not saying we we won't ultimately uh, turn this around. And I'm not saying he will turn it around. I'm saying he deserves and will get another chance to turn it around due to the history of this football team, the program, and the deal he signed. Um, admittedly, it's probably looking like an uphill battle right now. Um, so Coach Bo signed a new contract in late February 2022, and the NCAA announced the ban of cut blocking about, what, March 4th, if I looked up an article online. So about a two-week difference, if that. Is it a coincidence, or am I a conspiracy theorist here? Did Bo finesse Milton Overton into that new deal, knowing that once they kill his offense, he's going to be less marketable? Um, so I think Bo might have outsmarted Overton, and... You know, it's hard to, you know, to maybe me wearing the tinfoil hat, it's hard to believe he didn't have some kind of insider knowledge, know somebody on the committee when he signed that three-year extension. So the extension doesn't even start, I think, until after this season. So what he signed is not even happening until next year. So if you kill Bo, Bo's, uh, sorry, if you, if you fire Bo right now, then Overton looks like an absolute moron because the extension starts, I believe, in 2024, and you fire him before it even reaches the extension. So that would be stupid. I don't know what the contract says. I don't know if there's a buyout clause, but I can't believe, you know, we buy out a three-year extension or whatever it would cost and pay another coach too. Not just that, a good coach. Um, and, you know, again, Overton can roll with Bo in 2024, or it can look like an absolute idiot for signing to the extension that won't see the light of day. Long story short, I don't see Coach Bohannon going anywhere this offseason unless we lose to Lincoln or Lynchburg. Then you know what? All bets are off. Uh, this offseason, recruiting has to be better. Coaching and execution have to be better. 
And that's the end of my monologue slash soliloquy slash rant. Um, so I turn it over to you, Kai. Uh, first thing I'm going to address, John, I don't think that this is a conspiracy in which Brian Bohannon outsmarted Milton Overton. Um, I think that this was more than likely just a results-based thing that happened in 2022. Uh, this was pre-CUSA announcement, I believe. Uh, this was several months before the CUSA announcement. And, you know, we had been a consistently top 20 FCS team for seven or eight years. So I think there are other reasons to extend a coach other than, you know, Bohannon being like, hey, I see this rule change coming. Let me get my money while I can. Um uh, that being said, I think everything you said otherwise is well said about, you know, Bo deserving a chance. Um, whether or not that's going to happen, the, the jury's still out on, and we won't know for another year or two. Um, but I, I am absolutely with you that we stick with Bo um, for the time being. Yeah, and before we go to Nick, um, you know, like you said, Bo absolutely deserved the extension. It's just the timing was just so close together. And then it just hit me last night. I'm like, Wow. You know, it was literally two weeks. What just what if? What if he's like, oh, my God, I you know, they're about to kill our offense, everything we're going to be doing. And you know what? Maybe I'll accept that 300, whatever he's getting paid instead of, you know, trying to hold out for a little bit more later on. I don't know. But uh, again, that's just me and my tinfoil hat throwing it out there. Uh, going to you, Nick. To uh, kind of piggyback off of what your monologue, which, you know, a lot of good points. Um you know, Coach Bo and Coach Chesnut um, prior or pretty much right after the 2021 season. Is that right? What, what year are we in? 2022 season. Um, they pretty much announced like that they were going to move to this this more gun option based offense. Um, and then and then Coach Chesnut gets hired by Coach Newberry up at Navy January 4th um, during that time. So that may debunk your uh your 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 uh, conspiracy theory there, depending on the timing of those hirings and the when the uh, those but that was a year, but that was a year later than when Bo was extended. Bo was extended early 2022. I believe that was early 2023. So you're saying I missed that that critical detail of the year, but yeah, no, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I know you know obviously I'm biased. I played for Coach Bohannon. I think the world of him. I've seen what kind of leader he is um, in the building amongst you know a lot of really talented coaches that are around him a lot you know some that are that have been there since the beginning and some that are new um there, there's not a better man for the job um again you you've brought this point up every week now john of like you know we we have new coordinators we had to install a completely new offense we're making a transition we're playing red shirt roulette there's a lot of things stacked against our program right now and i think that when you're dealing with college level kids um and keeping them motivated in in you know, playing Lincoln versus playing Furman, who's number seven in FCS and playing Sam Houston and then going and playing Tennessee Tech and then going and playing Charleston Southern. That, that it, It's a difficult task. I'm not excusing anything. I think that there has been some regression and I hate to see that because I just think it's been execution based. Um, and I, I think that there's a ton of things that the program can improve on. Um, but you're right. As we continue to move into Conference USA and we you know move into FBS, looking at our facilities, looking at how we handle NIL, looking at, you know, just our overall uh, budget, you know, compared to some of the other schools that we're going to be competing against, we're going to have to make some serious strides uh, to compete. Um, and I know that Coach Bohannon is is doing those things uh, behind closed doors with, you know, Milton Overton trying to get get more funding, trying to, you know, be on the on the front of that curve and not behind the curve. 
Um, it's just something that is really frustrating as you watch the game go on and you're like, this is the Charleston Southern that beat us our first two years of existence. And then we manhandled the next three or four years after that um, considerably. And, you know, they were the standard that we wanted to get to those first couple of years. And then we surpassed that. And then some, you know, the following four five, six years after that. And so to lose to them again, kind of feels like a regression as a program when we were looking to catch them in just year one and year two of our existence. Um, I remember my last game as a senior was at Charleston Southern, which again, surprised my parents when they came to visit was in North Charleston. <laughs> uh, they, they, they were, they were quite shocked, but um, you know, it's only about 25 minutes away, probably like us saying that we're in Atlanta. Uh, we're, we're about 25 minutes to downtown Atlanta, but nevertheless. Um, but we're you know, not Atlanta State. We are not Atlanta State. We are Kennesaw State. And I love the map that you tweeted, John, of, you know, the 50 states with Kennesaw instead of Georgia. It's hilarious. But, hey, don't um, forget, John's inside the perimeter now. So I think he's oh, left he the club. That's true. <laughs> I am in metro Atlanta, technically. Me too. I'm I'm down here in, in Buckhead. So Kennesaw seems like forever away. But um, you know, I just I just feel like losing to Charleston Southern, yes, it's terrible. I hate losing to those guys. Um, because I never got to beat him as a player. You know, I only got to play in 15 and 16. And then we went on that nice run after that, winning back to back conference championships. Um it, it feels like a regression, but I, you know, you have to look at the the big picture and look at all of the the things that we are trying to overcome at once. Um, there's so much distraction. There's so much going on and there's so many positives to still take away, but, but I'm with you guys that, you know, it's, it's frustrating to continue to see regression and week to week. And it, it kind of almost feels like we're playing to our opponent every week. Like we play a great game against Furman and lose a heartbreaker there, but that was a great football team. And then we play Tennessee tech and we kind of play down to their level. And then we play, um, you know, Charleston Southern this week, we kind of play down to them. So I just feel like, we're not playing that consistent. We don't, we don't have that consistency that we've always prided ourselves on in all three phases. Um, you know, the, there, there are games where the defense has played lights out and then the offense struggles or the offense is putting up points and the defense can't get off the field. We, we've yet to play a complete game, but you see the flat. There are a couple flashes, but you're just not seeing them quite enough that gives you confidence saying when we go into Conference USA, we're, we're going to be able to compete right now. What do you think is the uh, current concern level on whether or not the move to Conference USA was the right move at this point in time? Both of y'all. I'll let Nick go. He's on a roll. <laughs> from uh, you know, from a coaching perspective, you know, I, I I feel like coaches feel like they can accomplish anything. I, I feel like they can motivate young men. I, I definitely know that Coach Bo has always been ambitious with with goal setting. We've always. Um, been very clear about the goals that we want to accomplish as a program. Um, I wouldn't say that there's panic. I, there's obviously going to be concern because I know that there's things that have to be addressed outside of just operating the football team um, from, you know, stadium and facilities and NIL and recruiting. There are things outside of just X's and O's that we, that we have to improve on. And so I know that that's a concern. I wouldn't say it's panic, but I know that there's things, that, there's a ton, a ton that we need to um, take, take steps forward on. And with NIL being in play now, and, you know, obviously Owls fans are getting impatient and, you know, we have a high standard that we expect. It's tougher now because transfers are going to get money on the market. Um, you're not, you're probably going to have to get guys that aren't proven in college or guys who have just been role player types at the FCS level, that kind of thing. We need to 
be able to do better, I think, identifying talent consistently. And I feel like that's something that we probably could have done a little bit better throughout the last, you know, the whole Bohannon regime. We need to be able to find that talent, see the potential and develop it. And, you know, that's all sports, what we're going to have to do, um, especially football, you know, baseball as well, because we're not going to be able to pay, you know, these big transfers. Yeah, I'll tell you what. The uh, sorry to cut you off, Nick. Um, the concern amongst the fan base on Al's Twitter is potent right now. Um, there is a panic in the air, and it's hard to tell people, especially when the outsiders are starting to notice that. Hey, I mean, there was a tweet that went out last night from somebody who you know is not part of Kennesaw Twitter. I forget what source they were. Was it, but it Sam like, Herder? I think so. It was like uh, you know, uh, soon to be FCS Kennesaw State is now one and four um, with four bad FCS losses. So, I mean, that wasn't the case. We had the Furman loss and the Chattanooga loss, but whatever. Nonetheless, you know, the the concern is growing, and it's going to be interesting to see develop, <laughs> regardless of which way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I agree with what you're saying, John. You know, we for when we were at our peak, we were developing kids that maybe didn't have, you know – big time offers at other places that we plucked that we could attract because of facilities or all these things. Right. Cause you know, we, we may not win that against Liberty and Jacksonville state or some of those right now. Um, you know, I loved my experience there. That doesn't mean that it's for everyone, but I think of a guy like chance Bates at linebacker. That was a kid that basically had no other, no other offers that we recruited out of um, Alabama. And he ended up being an unbelievable linebacker that we developed in, in an all conference player, and, and I just I just think of all those examples like him, like the Bryson Armstrongs of the world. I mean, I don't know that Bryson had anything other than Kennesaw uh, coming out of high school. And then even Chandler up, Burks. Right. I mean, Chandler fit the system. Exactly. Exactly. And we were a developmental program. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying that we've gotten away from that, but it is something that with all of the distraction of transfer portal, you got to recruit your own roster now make sure that they're staying, they're not getting in the portal because all it takes is one year of a kid being unhappy and, and he's gone and going to somewhere that's, that's given him a couple bucks as opposed to kind of, you know, staying in, in the program and developing. It's it's hard to manage all of that. And so, you know, how does that dichotomy work as we transition into a different classification, as we transition into a different conference, as money starts to come in from playing on Wednesday nights? Um, I think that's going to be awesome for us. I think for, from a branding perspective of all, being on national TV, um, that's not basketball, um, which I, I'm so happy that we did that, but it's gonna be good to see football get out there now. Um, yeah, I, I think that that is something that should help us in the recruiting, but we, we've got to continue to still develop high school players. Um, and as a high school coach myself, I'm seeing high school kids suffer a little bit in their recruitment because so many schools are in the portal and are, are just trying to get guys that are, that have a year or two left that are developed and that, you know, they can, they're, they're just trying to load up on, on the portal. Uh, a great example of this is Samford. Um, Samford, I believe two years ago, portaled up and got like, I don't know, 20 guys out of the portal and basically revamped their whole program. And now this year, right. All those guys graduated this year. They're sixth in the, in the SOCON right now, a year later, a year removed from winning the conference. So um, it's, it's a, it's a dangerous game to play when you're portaling constantly and trying to, you know, always replace with upperclassmen and not develop your, your, your foundational uh, guys within the program. So I say all that to say there, there's a lot of good, but we have a lot of things to improve on with how we manage our roster with recruiting um, with scholarships, with NIL, with portal, all that. Yeah. 
And we need, like I said, we need to have a better hit rate. And, you know, you said, you mentioned Chance Bates. I mentioned Chandler Burks, other guys as well. But Bryson Armstrong, like you mentioned, Justin Sumter only had a couple offers, you know, guys that come in with the right attitude and a chip on their shoulders that want to get better, that want to be an owl. I would take a high two star, a strong two star kid like that. Maybe he's missing a little size, missing a little something or that, something or else we, you can develop as opposed to a three-star kid who's like, oh man, I got these 10 offers. I'm kind of, I'm kind of content. I'm set. You know, I've got enough athletic ability. I'm going to just coast on this and get paid and all that. So, you know, it's really all about the type of kid you bring in and it's really tough to evaluate. The coaches have to ask the right questions of the recruits to know the kind of player they're getting. And I, I just feel like there's been a, a lot lately that, you know, we've seen a lot of walk-ons through the years and partially because we don't have the full allotment of scholarships an FBS program would have, but like you still see like, uh, was it Deron Willis is a, at least probably was a walk-on or is uh, same with Josiah Clemens and Michael Benefield and Alexander Diggs and Clemens is on scholarship now, but yeah, Nick, go ahead. Oh yeah. Nick was pointing out a guy like Nick Parada. Um, I was literally about to say that. I mean, that that has been something that's the kind of edgy player that we've always had are guys that are just tough, work their tails off and are pissed off that they didn't get recruited by, you know, their the, whatever college they felt like they were supposed to go to. And that Kennesaw was the place where they found their home. They found their solace and, that, and they put their nose to the grindstone there to prove to every, we had something to prove. We were pissed off in 2015, 2016 that we weren't winning the conference because we felt like everyone overlooked us. You know, no no one cared about recruiting us. We may have had a couple of guys that had other stuff, but for the most part, like you said, Chandler Brooks was the first signee ever. I don't think he had any any anywhere else. All right, and, and Chandler's on staff now. So that that edginess, that grit, that mentality, that eat that we that you always hear Bo talk about. I want to I want to see that come back because that's what has made us different. That's what's made us successful in in the past, and it. It's hard as you're transitioning into this FBS world where you have to use the portal and you have to bring in guys who may not be like may not be like that that initial first four or five years of the program where you could win on just grittiness, toughness, and work ethic. And now all of a sudden everyone's got, you know, three and four stars all over the field. It's it's a totally different world. Nick, what was your recruiting situation like coming out of uh, high school? I wasn't recruited at all. Um, like Reinhardt University, you know, was starting their football program. We're like, if you can pay, you can come. And it was like 50 grand a year or whatever. And I couldn't do it. So I actually went to Georgia Gwinnett College my uh, first year in college. Then go Grizzlies. A, yeah, they go Grizzlies. And then took a took my fall semester off. So I was a community coach at my my high school, Peachtree Ridge. Did that for a year and a half and was miserable. And Kennesaw announced that they were adding football. So I, I transferred over. Um, you know, took out loans to put myself through school, went to the first ever walk-on tryout. Uh, I think they took out of like a hundred, they took 22 of us, uh, on like in March and then come August, there was only three or four of us left. You know, me, Izzy, Sam, um, Brett Gillespie, um, um, drawing a blank, uh, wide receiver. Uh, Stone? Preston Stone, PJ. Thank you. Um, that was like the last four of the walk-ons. And so, um, it, it was tough. It was hard. You know, we started that, that 2014 season where every, the whole team redshirted, um, you know, in, and coach Bo set the standard then. And that's where our, our mentality kind of grew from was from that, that 2014 season. And we got a little taste of success going six and five in uh, 2015, 
lost to Presbyterian in the last game of the year should have should have beat them. But then we play for a conference for a share of the conference title against Chuck South in 2016, my senior year. And that quick success, I think, attracted a lot of other kids who were, you know, maybe not recruited like myself. And so um, next thing you know, we had a big influx of a lot of good players and we we, we got some JUCO kids in that fit, that fit the mold. And I think that's kind of where we need to go moving forward. I'm not saying JUCO, but just in our recruiting of getting transfers, grad transfers, portal kids, of getting the kids that fit the program that continue to push, you know, the the standard up and not hold the standard back. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was my experience. And and I loved every minute of it. I, it made me who I am today. And I think that a lot of, you know, if you talked to like Trey White last week, you talked to some of these guys that were walk-ons at one point that got brought in and, and I, you know, I got put on scholarship my senior year. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, but like th- the culture was so good at creating an environment where everyone felt like they could compete for, for playing time when everyone felt like they, they were all battling for, for spots and everyone was hungry to be the, the next guy. And, you know, again, I'm not in the building anymore, so I have no clue what's going on. I just want to see us get, get to that again. Yeah. And as Vince McMahon would say, that's good shit, pal. Good shit right there. <laughs> um, so fun fact, fun fact uh, Shane Bowen was the, the guy that took me at the tryout my, uh, whatever year that was, 2014, uh, who is now the defensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. So, you know, he went from evaluating a, you know, fat linebacker like myself and telling me I'm going to make the team, but as a defensive lineman to now coaching in the NFL. So there you go. <laughs> that's that's interesting so you had to put on the weight i guess you were recruited you were not recruited but seen as a linebacker and then they wanted you to add weight yeah i tried out as a linebacker and i was going through the bag drills or whatever and coach bone was like i like the way you move but we're pretty set at linebacker why don't you go over for the with the d line so i finished the tryout with the d line and they took me and they were like yeah so you're like 215 220 right now how's 260 sound i was like yeah i'm gonna i'll do my best i don't think i ever got there <laughs> like 255 249 somewhere in there but but again, that's the, the uh, kind of go ahead, Kai. I was just gonna say the uh, the Titans defense looked all right today. I don't know if y'all kept up, but yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't see that. All I saw is the Falcons disaster. But uh, like like you were saying, uh, Nick, you know that at you know that edge is what you know you really you know had to have. You know you weren't perhaps the most athletically gifted this or that, but you know you're you're strong up top. Um, and you know, you put in the effort and you wanted to do it. And that's the kind of player I'll take over, you know, a lazy three-star any day of the week. And, you know, it is, it is kind of going to be the one thing I'm concerned about with the program right now is, you know, recruiting, like we obviously have to do the red shirt roulette. I get it. But, you know, from the outside perception, how does this, what is the balance of affecting our recruiting going forward versus having these players with an extra year of availability. What do you guys think? I mean, I I think that the red shirt deal is awesome for a lot of these guys. I mean, to have the opportunity to get one year in FBS, or maybe they get two or three, depending on what, you know, what class they all are. You know, I know John, you keep up with all that stuff. I don't, I don't look at it quite as much, but just, I think that, it's a delicate deal and you know, you, you're being, you're trying to be patient of, you know, not burning them. And I love the rule of being able to play four games and all that has certainly made this a lot easier than it would have been in years past. Um, but I, I still would like to know how many scholarships we're at and how many we have to give 
because you have COVID years in there, you have an extra guys redshirting now that maybe never redshirted. You know, I, I have no idea where we're going to be at in 2024 at a scholarship number. I'm sure Bo will address that. In but, the if, but, but my point, my kind of point was like, if you're a high school kid right now and you're trying to recruit high school kid for the 2024 class or whatever, 2023 class, whatever we're going forward. Um, and they see loss to Tennessee tech loss to, you know, Charleston Southern, you know, we're trying to balance, you know, that doesn't look, we understand it. We know what's going on with the program, but that impressionable 18 year old, 19 year old kid doesn't understand it. And it is a black eye on the brand from the outside. How does like, is, do you think that that's something that we could be regretting, you know, when we look back on it three years from now? I think, um, if I could jump in, I think the coaches are going to know their selling points. Um, you know, they're not going to advertise kids, you know, when they're on their visits that we lost those games. That's not going to be something that comes up. They're going to be focusing on the move to FBS, on potential new facilities, on previous success. You know, we can win here. Uh, I wouldn't be too worried about it. We're going to be recruiting out of a bigger pond, hopefully, with the jump up. So it's not that big of a concern to me. It's not, you know a positive, but I think the coaches are going to be fine on their selling points. Good shit, pal. Go ahead, Nick. I, I do think it is, it is a, a slight concern of like, you know, Hey, if we go one and nine or whatever, or one and eight, whatever, how many games we're playing, you know, it's, you're going to have to address it at some point in the recruiting pitch. But I mean, the, I think it's pretty easy to say, you know, this was our, you know, our, F, our FCS independent year. We're, we're looking for it. We're looking ahead. We're playing on ESPN. We're, um, you know, we're playing on national television. We're playing these teams who you've actually heard of, you know, a lot of these, you know, you, some of these kids that come in, they've been recruited in years past. They're like, where's Monmouth? It's like, well, it's Monmouth and it's in New Jersey, right? Like so it takes a little more selling now, all of a sudden, you know, you're playing on TV, you know, who, uh, Liberty is, you know, Eastern can, you know, you, you know, who all these schools are. Um, I think that, and, and like Kai said, it's a bigger pond. We're recruiting kids that we've, we're, we're as Bo said, we are um, getting, we're, we're getting through doors that we weren't able to get through before in the recruiting world because of us being FCS. Um, and I think that the transition to the, the new offense will also put us in conversations that we've never been able to have before. If, if we're trying to recruit an unbelievable offensive skill player, and, you know, our best pitch at them is, hey, you, you, you know, you have a 33% chance that you'll touch the ball every play, you know, versus, you know, hey, we're, we're going to hand the ball to you 30 times a game at, at running back or we're going to, you know, whatever. Um, it, the stigma about triple option is what it is. There's a reason that Jeff Munkin has gone away from it. There's a reason that so many schools have gone away from it because of the cut rule, but it also helps in the recruiting aspect. So I do think that there are there is a slight concern with, you know, the record, but I do think that all the other pros outweigh that th this season's con. Awesome. Awesome stuff here. Um, so let's kind of shift to the game itself. Um, so just some points we were, you know, shut out in the first half. Uh, Gabriel Benyard didn't play because of injury. So that was a huge loss. Um, probably learned that. Uh, I learned that a little bit before uh, kickoff. Um, Murphy was eight of 16 for 85 yards. Uh, we had trouble with the exchange again, like Nick said, let's not all blame Al Hogan. Um, you know, ev everybody's in that effort. We mentioned the Preston Daniels drop touchdown, the big plays from Isaac Foster, you know, he's, as I mentioned in past, a past podcast, you know, I don't think he's the player he once was with his explosion, but also, you know, he's that third down guy. He, he wants to win. You can tell that that dude cares. 
And, you know, that catch he made on whatever third down it was where he yeah. gets hit six yards short. I mean, just kept his feet churning, falling forward, stuck a hand in the ground, stuck. I mean, that was, that is exactly who Isaac Foster is. Yeah. That was, that was just tremendous. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, we burned two timeouts in the third quarter. So if, you know, if it was coming up close and the game turned out a little bit differently, we'd only have one timeout to, you know, really work with. And, you know, out timeout management has kind of been a trend um, throughout my time watching the Owls. You know, Bohannon's tendency a lot of the time is it just seems like, you know, he's unsure of whether to, you know, kick a field goal here or go for it here. So he just calls a timeout, um, which I'm OK with in the first half. But I really don't want to, you know, use those timeouts you know, in the third quarter. And again, it wasn't that situation per se, but just, you know, not having the guys ready or not knowing what we're going to do. I hate to, I hate to see that. Yeah. Um, I did like to see Bohannon um, get a little more aggressive. There were a few fourth downs there uh, that I liked that we pulled the trigger and we got a few of them. So um, obviously we did end up settling for three field goal attempts, but I felt like there was more of a sense of urgency. Yeah. One of our first fourth down uh, attempts, I think it was a fourth and two, and they stuffed it and sacked Murph. Um, I noticed that Chuck South was mixing up how they were kind of playing the read, just like anyone does against our offense previously with the option of like, you know, is this guy screaming for the dive every single time or do you pop him for the cue every once in a while to try and mess up the read? They were doing a nice job of that all night. And Murph, the first couple of times, um, kind of got fooled on that of, you know, it should have been a give read, but he pulls it and that guy pops at the last second and tackled Murph for, you know, a, a stop on fourth down. They, they did a nice job with that. And see, that's why that's why you're the coach. We'll, we'll let you cover all that kind of stuff. That's why we rely on you so heavily for your uh, valued opinions here on the Owl Chat podcast. Um, my so my take last week. I kind of mentioned this when Trey was here, but you know, I was we were talking a little bit about Jonathan Murphy, and you know, do you play him? Do you bring in uh, Davis Bryson? AKA announcers are going to say Bryson Davis. I can't wait for that to happen. But I, I truly think at this point. Um, last week, I was kind of like, okay, guys, do we do this? I think it's time. This week, I'm adamant that we need to bring in Davis Bryson at quarterback. And this isn't a shot at Jonathan Murphy. This is not saying pull Murphy. We can all, we've done this in the past with Daniel David um, and, and others. You can alternate possessions, have Murphy play two drives, uh, Davis Bryson play one. It's not punishment. It's not punitive. We need to know what we have going into next year. We absolutely cannot go into next year and not have a sense of who's the guy or we just can't go judging off practice. Cause when you're practicing against the same players, they know your tendencies. They, you know, they know you, the other, t I want to see how you perform when the lights are on in a game and playing Murphy now to me makes little sense. Obviously, you, you know, I'm fine playing him. He's our senior. The coaches love the guy. Um, he's, he's done his part. He's been a great owl. So I'm fine with having him play some working Bryson in, but, you know, I it's I don't care if it's Murphy's fault, the offensive line's fault, the entire team's fault. None of this matters to me. We need to play the quarterback or quarterbacks that we see potential in for the future. John, here's the thing is I don't know that the argument has changed all that much uh, since last week. I think it's do you stick with Murphy and respect his seniority and let him finish out the season as the starter and kind of ride off into the sunset? Or do you throw Bryson to the wolves and see what you have? I don't know if that's an accurate thing to say. I don't know if this is an accurate situation for Bryson to start in. I mean, it's like the Falcons last year when, you know, Mariota wasn't 
playing all that well and it's like week 13 and it's like okay you know we're out of the playoff race let's see what we got in Ritter it's um it was too late by then and now now we're stuck with Ritter (laughs) yeah tell me about it but that's a whole nother discussion I I just don't know if throwing Bryson out there right now unless it's against Lincoln or Virginia Lynchburg is actually going to be the best thing for his career and the team moving forward I don't know if it's going to be an accurate look at what he is as a quarterback and what he's going to be next year and the years to come um and just yeah I'm not sold on throwing Bryson out there quite yet well whether it's an accurate look or not it's good for him to see an FCS defense against him that's not you know that's actually trying and not in prevent mode or something like that it'll be good for him to kind of assess firsthand like when i'm doing a job anything if i'm learning something at work i want to get my hands on it and really work with it so i can see how better to do it next time and how i can learn from it and i if i'm davis bryson that's that's what i would be wanting so obviously it's not perhaps setting him up in the best situation for immediate success i think he would know that going in the message is probably going to be kid just just do the best you can so i mean then what happens let's say you start him against tennessee state which i don't think they're going to do and you know he takes eight sacks and we lose by 30 um you know what 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 does that do for anybody i am just i'm not i'm not sold i don't think he would be the number two quarterback on the depth chart right now if you know he was that hopeless and, you know, obviously that's not all going into his fault, his fault, right? Maybe the offensive line fails him or whatnot, but I, I think you have to put him out there. And, you know, if it's really that bad, you can always, you know, put Mur- keep Murphy back in, put somebody else in. But, you know, like I said, we're not throwing him out there. You know, we can work him in, you know, let Murphy, you know, let Murphy start, go a couple drives. If, if the offensive line is just being torn up and just absolutely destroyed to where it's that bad then obviously okay we don't put him in there we'll just let him handle it so i'm curious nick what is your tie-breaking uh point on this yeah i'm just thinking back throughout the years like you mentioned daniel david with you know chandler and then um you know xavier shepherd and murph kind of went back and forth there for a while and then you know xavier gets hurt in the playoff game and and or before then and and murph comes in against wofford and leads us to a win with over 200 yards like um, I'm, I'm curious what the plan is. I'm sure there, obviously there's a plan. Um, he did play in the Tusculum game. So my initial thought was, I wonder if they're just going to let him sit until the last four and then kind of, you know, give him, go with that kind of two, one rotation or something for the last four, but that, that wouldn't really make a lot of sense since he played in the Tusculum game. Um, I, you know, I, I do agree. I, I do. I would like to see him, uh, in the offense, at least kind of getting his feet wet. You know, it's, Murph is one of those guys that the program is, is he, he embodies what the program is about. So I, I totally am, am on your side with that as well, Kai of giving it to the senior, letting him ride out his senior season, especially in one that we aren't playoff eligible. Um, you know, we can't win the conference, all that good stuff, but I, I, I do see both sides. I don't know what the, what the right answer is, you know, to kind of be Switzerland and stay in the middle here, but I just, I would like to see what else we got because it is going to be a big move next year of leading a new offense. And maybe the whole plan is, you know, we don't want to show too much of what we do have, or maybe what we're looking to do with him next year into conference. USA. I know that coach Bo being a triple guy, you know, triple guys are very protective of their offensive schemes and showing film and trading film and, and all of that. So again, I'm, I'm not trying to be the tinfoil hat conspiracy guy here either, but 
you know, I, it could be one of those deals too, where they're trying to not show too much of what, you know, we may have moving into next year. Not that, you know, I don't think we'd be showing, showing our hand too much, but I, I could see that I could see a multitude of those being, being factors in this decision. That's a good point about holding stuff back for next year. I wasn't even thinking about that. And also uh, take a back seat. I'm the number one tinfoil hat guy on this podcast. You can be number two if you'd like. Um, but, you know, I, I still, you know, like I said, we can still honor Murphy. He can still, you know, play the senior senior game, senior night. Um, he can still play in the first half or, or whatever. There's There's ways that we can, you know, do this both ways and kind of, we don't have, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. I'm just saying, I'd like to kind of see what we have, you know, can, you know, Bryson make the basic throws. It wouldn't surprise me if all along our plan has been okay. In these games like Tusculum, which we did get up in that game at some point, And then Bryson came in. I wonder if the plan all along was, well, once we kind of have the game in hand in the middle of the third quarter, that's when we make the change and we've yet to be in that position. Uh, we've been in dogfights every single week. And so maybe it's been, well, we just stick with Murph because, you know, changing quarterbacks in a tight game, yada, yada. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe the plan was to to get him some touches in, uh, you know, once we go up three scores or, or whatever it may be, and we just haven't done that yet. So who knows? But we are right? coming out on the wrong end of the dogfight. So my point is, you know, what's it really hurt? Like, you know what I mean? Like if we're not Still, if we're driving down time after time, getting nothing, you know, put him in for once, one every four sessions. Still, I think it's clear that the coaching staff thinks Murphy gives them the best chance to win week in, week out. Um, it gets weird now, though, in the last four, because you only have one game that you really expect to be competitive. Um, not to be too pessimistic, I don't think we stand a chance against Sam Houston State this year, and we're going to blow the doors off of both Lincoln and Virginia Lynchburg. So, you know, it's homecoming week. I would believe the coaches are going to do everything they can in their power to win this game against Tennessee state. And I think Murphy is going to still be that number one option. So I don't think we're going to see Bryce until Lincoln. Unless it's a blowout one way or another. Well, I guess we'll have to, uh, I guess we'll have to see, but I do know that he's been, you know, he's been the guy all season. That's the number two, as opposed to anybody else. So I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, it's not just a situation where he does he's already redshirted. I'm assuming he's that clear cut number two guy. And I'm thinking the coaches might want him to be that dude next year. So I'm interested to see, you know, where this goes for sure. That brings up a good point too of you know, Sam Houston being the only competitive, hopefully the only competitive game left. You know, they're on one Tennessee comp- State. Tennessee State would probably be the only competitive game left, right? Because Kai said that Sam Houston's going to blow the door, could blow the doors off us. Right, right, right. Excuse me, but right. And I'm also curious. My mind was thinking about Sam Houston said the wrong thing, but my mind is also thinking like this: the Sam Houston game will also be a nice barometer of where we're at as a program. Even though they are zero and one in the conference, by the time we we get to them, they will have played you know three three games in the conference, and right now they're zero and zero and four or whatever it is. Um, lost a heartbreaker the other night, but that will be a nice barometer to see where we stack up in the conference by playing a team that is playing conference USA this season. But again, with the red shirt roulette, it's tough to have a barometer as well. Cause you know, we're not playing the same guys every week. And, you know, by then we're thinking who knows who's already capped out of their eligibility for this year. So, you know, we'll have to see who we suit up. Um, so um, also the theme of the season if we're being honest is we have no idea where we are as a program, but that's kind of okay. That's very well said, Kai. Very well said. Um, I mean, am I wrong? I'm sure the coaches know more than we do, but as fans, that's kind of that's that's where it's at. 
Yeah. And a, and a quick nugget. Um, I don't have any official word on this from any official sources, but I heard that um, offensive lineman uh, James Dawson's injury is perhaps of the more serious nature. Um, so again, just a rumor. Um, so I don't know if he'll be back in at center. So I think we're probably going to have to ride it out with Al Hogan uh, the rest of the way. And I think I saw on Al Hogan's perhaps Instagram that he said uh, Kennesaw State 25. So I wonder if he's going to find another year of eligibility somewhere to return on our offensive line next year. So we'll have to see about that. Um, or maybe he's just going to be in school another year. I don't know. Doing that uh, pre-med track, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know. I mean, he's got, you know, I mean, the dude is 28 or 38 or 48 and has like probably five kids by now if you've seen him. So uh wouldn't surprise me if he's already a doctor. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, you know, moving on to the defensive side, um, we gave up a touchdown on the first drive of the game, um, which you guys already kind of touched on a little bit. Uh, no turnovers forced. We had a dropped interception that probably should have been a pick. Um, we gave up some big third downs, uh, gave up that field goal drive. They had to go from into field goal range from their own five yard line. You know, I I don't have much to add on to that. Do you guys have anything there before I uh, ask Nick a couple questions? Uh, all I had was I thought run defense was really solid all night. Um, pass defense was suspect. As you mentioned a while ago, Jerico Washington got away with that really egregious missed pass interference in the first half, which was a weird moment because you didn't expect it to be called because of where the ref was standing. Like he would have no way to see the Jersey grab, but everybody else in the stadium saw that Washington had a fistful of Jersey. So um, secondary was uh, somewhat disappointing um, outside of Montgomery, but I thought the rush defense was fantastic throughout the whole game. So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, the defense is consistently giving us a chance to, you know, win, and it's really the, you know, and we'll touch on this in a little bit. The offense has kind of been that, uh, sp- the big, and special teams have been the biggest sputtering points. I do want to add um, Charleston Southern is one of the worst passing teams uh, in Division One college football. And last night was the first time all year that they had a quarterback go over 100 yards. So um, <laughs> maybe not the proudest performance. Yeah, yeah. But their quarterback's name is Zoltan, which that's like badass. Isn't that somebody with Zoltan Osborne? Yeah. I, I prefer Braden Osbolt, our uh starting pitcher on the baseball team, to be honest with you. But I think people were mentioning that Zoltan was some kind of part of Dude Where's My Car movie from like Ashton Kutcher from the late nineties. Zoltan. Zoltan. There you go, Nick. I don't re- I've I saw that about when it came out. I don't remember it anything since. So is that like a cult or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just an absolute classic movie. The yeah, they're these weird like dudes that wear bubble wrap and they're a cult. They're like a cult. It's hilarious. Classic vintage Ashton Kutcher. Horrible movie, but great on like a Sunday afternoon if the Falcons just lost and you need a little mindless watching. Well, maybe if he starts playing better at quarterback, they will want to put him in some bubble wrap. But until then, um, going under 100 yards, probably not so much. But Nick, well, this was this was only his second start, I believe. They were starting a dude named Tony Bartolo for the first three or four games. So yeah. maybe they lost from New Jersey. I was about to say one of the most Italian names I've ever heard. But yeah, maybe uh, Zoltan turns their season around. Who knows? Nick, what are your thoughts on the defense overall? Yeah, I've been really pleased with them all season. You know, in in coaching and in football, you you know you start every year and you go to camp and you go live against each other, offense versus defense, all the time. And usually, the first few scrimmages, the defense always kicks the offense's ass. That's 
to be expected because it just takes so much more time and reps and execution to execute offensive plays and defense is all about just effort and getting to the football and just being sound. Um, and so I think that we're seeing, that's why we see such a, a staggering difference in the progression of the defense versus the offense is, you know, it, it, you're not, you're not having to learn a whole new system of defense. Yeah. There may be some different things that coach Burton's doing, but, Oh, you know, what we call, what we used to call Tahoe is now called, you know, whatever. And learning new terminology, all that stuff, but it's still similar principles. You know, they may change leverage or they may change the names of the positions. You know, it used to be the rush or the Rover and now it's the striker or whatever, but for the most part, things stay the same and stay consistent. Whereas on the offensive side, completely new system timing, right? Getting the snap, the, the mesh um, routes, blocking schemes, all that takes so much time. So I think that's one reason why I think it feels like the defense is performing so well, but I, I do, I do feel like they actually are playing at a really high level with the exception of a couple of secondary moments that we've had throughout the year. Um, Marquise Montgomery has been fantastic all season. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's so much fun to watch chance. I thought had a, had a not so great game last night, you know, had the penalty, but um, just multiple. Yeah. 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 Had, had multiple penalties, just did not have a great game. Um, there's been a couple times where and it seems like a lot of the plays that we have given up in critical moments lately um, has been on, on scramble or extended plays, opportunities, extended play opportunities where we kind of lose a guy in zone coverage and that he just kind of sits it down. And so that, that third down um, on the last possession it was like third and it was third and 10 or third and maybe longer um, where they completed that ball down to the 31, you know, it, it was the, the quarterback kind of scrambled and then stepped up and then found, found the receiver there in the soft part of the zone where, you know, the average play is only going to last five or six seconds. So when it gets extended like that, I feel like our, our at times our DBs haven't locked on and found that, that, you know, guy trying to, you know, work the scramble drill and, you know, move back to where he just came from or sit it down where, where he's, you know, his route and ended. So other than that, I think that the defense has been um, a really bright spot. Uh, it is disheartening to not see plank make an appearance, especially in North Charleston, beautiful North Charleston. Um, but uh, that's something that we've always prided ourselves on. I know that um, my last year there or the year I GA there in 2017 under coach Newberry, I think we created like, I think we were like plus 20 something in the turnover margin, something outrageous. And if you, if you're, if you're, if you're winning the turnover battle, you're going to win football games. And so in close games like this one that we, that we just had um, the difference can be, can be a turnover. And we had two um, and, and we didn't force any. Um, unless Kai has something to add, I just want to let you know, Plank did make an appearance uh, yesterday. Uh, we walked the Plank um, after the game. So uh, if you didn't notice, now you do. Um, I actually have a three questions for Nick um, that I wrote down just specifically for Coach. Um, what have you seen so far comparing the Burton defense to even the Danny Verpel defense of the past couple seasons and even into Brian Newberry's heavy zone defense, you know, back in 2015, 2016? What can you tell us, you know, without going into too much coach speak, you know, schematically, you know, what are you seeing that's different? What are you seeing that you like? That kind of thing. I like some of the creativity that Coach Burton um, has introduced. Uh, not that Coach Verpale was, you know, super bland or vanilla or anything, but just there's been some creative stuff that I've just noticed. I'm not diving too deep into what he's doing, obviously, but um, we we blitz a lot of different people. We, we have a lot of different looks, a lot of different presentations. 
you know, where you're not really sure who's coming from where. And, you know, th- these guys are, are coming off the edge and all of a sudden those guys drop off. It kind that kind of stuff reminds me of the Newberry days um, when, I mean, there were literally calls where myself as a, uh, I would line up as a D tackle over the guard. I would strike the guard and then drop into coverage, right? I intercepted a ball against Gardner Webb to end the game on like a 13-9 game uh, in that call because we were dropping deep linemen and blitzing safeties and corners and doing crazy stuff. Um, I loved that part of Coach Newberry's defense. I, I see bits and pieces of that with Coach Burton, not quite to that extent, but we also did not have uh, – <laughs> I'll kind of hate on myself here. We didn't have D linemen that could rush the passer nearly as well as we do now, or we can just kind of put our, our best front four out there and rush four and get there a lot of times. We couldn't quite do that back in the day um, with a 5'11", 249-pound defensive tackle in there. And uh, so – but I do see a lot of really cool things. I think that the secondary is playing uh, at a really high level for the most part. Um, there were times under Coach for Pale where we, we were cutting guys loose, playing a lot of man coverage – um, I think New- Coach Newberry and Coach Burton play a lot of mixed coverages um, where you see a lot of zone and man. Um, but ob- everything looks really sound. I, I, just, I like the way that we get to the ball. All, all the effort looks really good. So t- if you want to compare and contrast, I'd say he's a little more like Newberry, um, but th- definitely some splashes of of his own stuff. Yeah, and I think even just a halfway acceptable offense, you know, we're, we got a few wins so far. So I, I have no problem with – uh, very few problems with the uh, the defense, um, you know, and shout out to Blake, uh, Blake Harrell. He was, I think, our defensive coordinator for one season. So I didn't mention him. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Harrell was was awesome. I actually got to meet him a few times. Um, he's recruited a couple of my guys at Holy Innocence. He's a, a great mind as well, but went with Mike Houston over to ECU. But um, yeah, I only got one year of data from him, but he, you know, he was a, a pretty aggressive play caller as well. Awesome. Awesome. And my my second question to you, Nick. Um, how does the complete failure so far of the offense and the kicking game affect the defense mentally and physically? Yeah, I think as a defensive player, I'll, I'll speak from a player's perspective, you know, when you feel like you've been you've been on the field for so long and you feel like if you let up one score or two scores that you feel like it might be insurmountable, that's a bad place to be from a player's perspective. Um, and, and you can get there certainly as a 19, 20, 21 year old kid. Um, from a coach's perspective, right? You obviously never want to think like that, but you know, things are so opposite of how they used to be. We used to hold the ball. I mean, time of possession. And I don't know that I have the exact stat here uh, somewhere in my notes here, but we, we held the ball still for a pretty decent amount of time. Um, Here it is 35 minutes. Um, So we still, we still had 10 more minutes of possession than they did. Um, when you're holding the ball, it's so it's so fun to play defense because you're fresh. You can go out there and and you know give your all knowing. But the defense when when you get a stop, the offense is going to go down and hold the ball for who knows how long. And when I was playing, there were games when the offense would take the ball to start the second half and the third quarter, and we may not even go out there in the third quarter. They held the ball for that long. They went on a 17 play drive that took the whole 15 minutes off the clock. And so when when you're having some offensive struggles, some offensive woes, it's you know you have to be really mentally tough and, di- and mentally disciplined of understanding how critical just doing your job, your eleven percent, no, that's wrong, nine percent, your one eleventh of the defense uh, is in order to have success. And, and sometimes when you are having having offensive struggles, um, 
or even just special team struggles, you feel like you're not scoring. You feel like you have to do something a little bit more than just your role within the within the system. And that's when big plays happen, right? You're trying to fill a gap that isn't yours or cover someone that isn't yours or whatever it is. And next thing you know, your eyes are in the wrong place. You give up a big play. That's That can really hurt you. So it's very difficult as a defensive player, I'll say, if you feel like you're on the field a lot. But, I, you know, I don't feel that those guys are are in that space right now. I'm sure it can be frustrating, but they understand what's going on, right? I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they're they're openly talking about that in the locker room. Like, hey, man, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're working on this. You know, our, our pass protection has gotten so much better in the last few weeks. You know, we're we're in these different formations now. We're, we're doing all these different things. So I think they, you know, it can be frustrating from a player's perspective, but I know that they know that it's going to take time and that, you know, they, they have to kind of bear the burden of being the, the unit that holds things together right now. Yeah, and just – Crossed my mind. I want to give a shout out to Terrell Paxton, who came back from injury and started this week. And offensive line, you know, maybe it was the opponent, maybe it was Paxton, but looked a lot better. Uh, he took over for Ethan Newman. Otherwise, the offensive line was pretty much the same. I think Paxton started on the right side, and then I saw him quickly move over to the left side and switch places with Pennington. So, you know, shout out to those guys for doing a little bit better of a job. Um, and my third question for Nick is probably the most confusing. Um, how big of an effect? does redshirting guys on defense affect the overall performance? Now, keep in mind, we probably started a lot of our top guys defensively versus Charleston Southern, but there are layers underneath, like guys we have to hold out as backups. Um, I've singled out three areas, um, and I personally think all the following are factors that I'm going to, uh, that are going to play a part. But I just wanted your take, as you've been in defenses before that have lacked depth, um, the first factor, you know, to address, and I'll go through all three of these here first and let you go on whatever you want to talk about is continuity wise. What I mean by that is having guys in and out of the lineup each week and not being able to build continuity playing with each other. The second factor is depth wise. That's guys being overplayed and worn down just from, you know, getting too many reps, um, which might've played a part last week. Um, the third factor is matchup wise. What I mean by that is perhaps being able to adjust within games. For example, if there's a small shifty receiver who's killing us, well, maybe we have more options on the bench and one of our corners is better suited for playing a smaller wide receiver. Well, you know what? He's redshirting this week, so he's not available. Also, when I say matchup wise, it could be as simple as a certain player isn't bringing his A game that day or is just having just having a bad game for whatever reason. You know, you can't it's harder to say, OK, you sit your ass down, next guy, you come in right now. You can't do that. You have to work with what you got. Players are human, um, so there's less options to sub in and sub out. What is your take on kind of like the overall, you know, effect of the red, you know, the red shirt roulette and all those factors? Not confusing at all. Three-prong question. I love it to finish us up here. Um, I think that anytime you don't have your full gambit of you know, players and calls that you want to have as a defense, I think that that is going to hinder you in some some way. Um, you know, for your first part, overall continuity. So, you know, I'm Markeith Montgomery. You know, this is my last year. And, you know, I look over and I'm making a, a hand signal or a check to Chance Gamble one week and then the next week it's someone else, right? Or I know that he's got to fall off of, you know, the post because I'm going to take the post route and he's going to fall off and, and cover the wheel route, whatever. Right. I trust that he's going to do that. Well, that guy's not there next week or, it, it, you know, that is something that I think is huge in this red shirt deal uh, is, is continuity. Yeah, there's, you know, you're never going to have just 11 guys play on defense. You're probably going to have more like 20. 
uh, if not 20, if not more that are going to come in throughout, throughout the game, you're going to sub in multiple defensive linemen, you know, more edge rushers versus more run stoppers and just keep in fresh, fresh guys in there. You're going to sub into nickel and dime personnel. You're going to have multiple different, you know, looks that you want to present. And so you almost feel kind of handcuffed at times of, oh man, I have a really good halftime adjustment that I want to make to what they're exploiting us with, but we don't have that in this week because we don't have that player. We don't have that package or, or we do have that package, but it's, you know, the backup starting because the starters redshirting. There's certainly some continuity issues that come into effect when, when you're dealing with the redshirting uh, of guys week to week and not having the same arsenal over and over and over that, that has to be a very difficult thing to do from a player's perspective and a coach's perspective. Um, part two of your question was talking about the depth uh, match- yeah, the depth and just matchups in general. I think that it's, again, it's paramount to have your full arsenal of guys. And if you you like to have eight D linemen that you can rotate in and out throughout a game, but this week three of them are red shirting, well, now you're pulling three other guys up or maybe you're overplaying, like you said, the other five to, because you don't feel confident that the other three are going to get it done, whatever whatever it may be. Um, it, it certainly can have an effect. I, d- I definitely see where uh, there's been times where our D-line is, has gotten a little bit tired um, and in and, and games where we've not had our best guys on the field. Um, and so, you know, there is there, there may not be another person to throw out there, right? They may be on a 13-play drive and it's all been all passes and those guys are gassed from rushing the passer and we may not have anyone else to throw out there. We might, may not have that extra package that we normally do to be able to go into and um, matchup-wise, that can create some problems, you know? Oh, like you said, the shifty slot receiver is the guy this week and, you know, we don't have our best nickel corner because he's redshirting this this week. Um, that that can certainly play a role. I don't know if any of this is actually happening, but it certainly is is something that um, can can have an effect on a defense. And then part three of your question was, was it matchup wise or just depth? yeah? That you kind of addressed that. Um, I think you kind of addressed both into one. You know, that, and that was strictly a hypothetical. You know, like if somebody matches up here versus there, or you know, we need somebody that can power rush the tackle or speed rush and we see that vulnerability on tape, you know, maybe that guy's not going to be playing this week. Yeah. And, and then you throw in an injury or two into the mix. And so the guys that you thought were going to be, you know, doing these things and this call all of a sudden got moved because he usually plays right end, but now we need him at left tackle on the D line because we lost this guy. So he moves in, this guy comes off the bench and goes in. So now the guy that's been practicing this call all week to this formation or whatever is no longer doing it. He's doing something else. And now you have someone, it just, it eats so much of your practice time of trying to get everybody the reps and looks that they need. And so, like you said, the continuity is not, not always going to be there. So I, I tip my hat to coach Burton and the whole defensive staff because they've played really well um, for a lot of this, a lot of this season, despite all these things that we're talking about. Yeah. And it just reverberates throughout the whole defense, just one changing one piece, you know, it, affects every single part of the defense and a lot of people don't realize that especially when these are kids going to class full-time now if you're a pro and you're in the nfl you know you've been most of these people there are so many veterans that have been doing they can deal with it they've done it before they spend they dedicate their life to this these kids have to you know do this and be students and do their work and all that and people forget that um so you know it's like people sometimes forget when they're watching these guys are human they're not just robot football players they're also students on top of it 
It's like and, being a full-time student and recording the Owl Chat podcast twice a week. Except like, exhausting. Except like yeah. recording like five Owl Chat podcasts a week, not just two. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you don't want to go into what a, a student athlete's, uh, a football student athlete's schedule is actually like throughout the week. It's, it's, it's hectic. And these kids, and that's the thing that I, I probably would like to really get across is that these guys are competitors. They hate losing just as much as we hate seeing it. These guys, I mean, you could see it as soon as that field goal went through, you saw the anguish on a lot of those kids' faces and, you know, just the the wind coming out of their sails. They are ultimate, they, they are ultimate competitors that, you know, the coaches are pushing these kids are pushing each other. You know, it's hard when you're going through, you're jumping through all these hurdles and you, you come up yet again on a last second play or at the end of a game, it is gut wrenching. And for it to happen, keep happening like this. It certainly it takes a toll on your your, your mental state of okay I gotta let I gotta flush that and I gotta come back next week and, and get prepared again but oh yeah I have a, a physics test or a finance test on Tuesday and oh yeah I have all this so there's a lot that they're juggling not that all all the other opponents aren't as well but certainly with just the the extra added um, hurdles that we're dealing with from redshirt from moving up from all the distractions. Uh, it, it certainly can all play a toll when you're losing games by a field goal. And there's a reason that, you know, sophomores, juniors, seniors usually play. And it's not just because, you know, they're physically more ready to play. You know, they they know the offense. Usually there's continuity coming back. They don't have to think as much and put in as much of that prep time that perhaps a freshman has to to prepare. So, you know, that's part of the, you know, part of the game is mental. And, you know, right now everybody's, you know, learning new stuff and especially stuff they probably haven't had to do before um, and types of things like wide receivers having to catch and not block and Isaac Foster learning a new position and everyone's learning new stuff, especially on the offensive end. So. And that may go back to your Davis Bryson uh, concern of maybe that, you know, he's still growing and developing to a point where they don't feel good about him going out there, but they feel like he he'll get there with time and with reps at practice. Maybe, maybe that's, that's something else to consider. So that's, that's very possible. And, you know, again, he's still listed as a second quarterback. So I hope he's grasping it and hasn't, you know, is because I mean, Murphy, thankfully Murphy hasn't been hurt this season or hasn't had to really go out. Um, and hopefully that doesn't happen, but, you know, he's the second guy on the depth chart and the coaches obviously see, you know, he's ahead of everybody else. So there's something there. So I'm, I'm still interested to see what he's going on, but going to the last subject of the, you know, of our conversation, these special teams, um, first off, sh- shout out to Josh Hewitt, um, our, absolutely our, our, our MVP so far. Um, yes. Um, that came out of nowhere. So, Great. Maybe he should kick the field goals. I don't know. But um, no. um, we had two missed field goals from 30 and 32. Um, that's, you know, unacceptable, you know, at, even at the college level. Like you need to at least be able to make one of those kicks at least. Um, or Jacob Ulrich was a freshman. Uh, he's on scholarship. Um, he's making his first appearance after Cummins was struggling you know, the, throughout the entire season. So last week we were saying, Hey, let's give Ulrich a shot. Let's give the red, the, okay, Nick, go ahead. I know you got something. Yep. Oh, okay. But we were given the uh, red shirt from uh Presbyterian more, um, you know, more, give him some, give him some time. Bonway. I think I got that right. Bonway. I'll let Cummins say it. That way he can mess up and you can. Bonway. I'm not even going to try. But we need guys who can make a 30 to 40 yarder. Um, I, you know, I know he's a freshman, but you know, if you're giving money to a kicker, you expect a kicker to hit 30 yarders. Like, um, so I, you know, 
what do we do from here, guys? Do we, is it just go for it on every fourth down unless we absolutely have to kick it from beyond that, like 25 and in? What is the strategy from here? So I will say, I commend Bo for giving Ulrich a shot. You know, Ulrich is the one who missed the kicks, not Bo. So I'm glad they gave him an opportunity. And I hope this doesn't throw Ulrich's career off because he had a bad game. Because there's a reason he's on scholarship. You know, the, the kid was a solid high school kicker and punter. Um, that being said, with the current situation, I think you should just stick with one of them and hope one of them gains confidence because that's all you can do at this point in the season. Um, all Rick needs to make those uh, 30 and 32 yarders should be chip shots at the college level. Um, no excuse. Uh, ultimately, it ended up costing us the game. It was the difference. Uh, it needs to be addressed. Yeah. And if you're given, you know, if these were like 40, 45 yarders and you miss both, you know, it could be a little bit more forgiving, but I'd, I'd really like to see you know, even though he's a freshman hit 30, 32 yarders, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty standard stuff. Um, what are your takes on that coach? Well, I mean, they were playing on the high school field, so he shouldn't feel uh, too far removed. Uh, it's just a little, my little subtle dig. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's disheartening to see us have these kicking struggles because we've never really had this before. We've, we've had tremendous kickers over the, over the years. Um, I mean, going all the way back, I mean, we've, we've always had, had, um, I mean, they, and they were walk-ons, you know, they were, they were, I mean, we may have given some money, but they weren't full scholarship kickers. Cause we just didn't have, you know, the, I mean, it's hard to re- it's hard to give a full scholarship to a kicker when you're in FCS now moving up, like you've mentioned many times, John, of having more money, more scholarships to give, you know, the, these, when you go to, when you go to conference USA, when you go to FBS and you don't have confidence in either kicker that you have on, on scholarship, that's, that's a tough place to be from a play caller's perspective. And as a head coach to say, okay, it's fourth and two from our, or from the 28 yard line, you know, do we kick it here? Or do we go? Um, and if you fully trust your kicker and you feel like points are, are the right answer here, you have no, you have no hesitation, no reservation of sending the kicking team out there. And I think right now there may be some hesitation of, do we send them back out there? And I hate that because um, you know, it's, it's a third of the game. You know, a lot of people like to argue that special teams aren't as important because they've, you know, made kickoff not nearly as, uh, you know, you, you can't do nearly as much on kickoff. You don't see the NFL returning any kicks anymore, all that stuff. But, like, this game came down to a kick, right? We missed two. They made one as from 48 as time expired or whatever it was. Um, it's a third of the game, and it can it can win and lose you games. Um, and so I, I don't know what the answer is moving forward. I'm with you, Kai, of, like, you know, just kind of stick with one try and build some confidence in one of them and then reevaluate as we go into the off season, have a true off season competition and see who wins the job in camp. I will say just from the eye test, I understand that Ulrich is the the future per se, you know, him being the freshman on the roster. That being said, for all we know, Connor Cummins could still be money from inside of 35 and still has eligibility left. So uh, what I would do is I would throw Connor back out there and just let him finish out the season, uh, regardless of what happens. That's, that's just the approach I would take to it, though. That's certainly that's certainly a plan for sure. Um, well, so, a special teams guy. Yeah, and so and then know, we got open tryouts in the summer. <laughs> do it, Kai. Can you? Can you? How far can you hit from? I will. I'll show up. Um, consistently, the best I was ever doing was forty-eight, but you know that's in practice, no pads, no anything. So, um, what about you know, fully game? suited up? Fully suited up, uh, no pressure. Um, I can take my time. I feel good from about forty in. Well, I want to see this. This this is something that the Owl Chat Podcast. You have to make this happen. 
I, I told this to a buddy because I've joked about this for the last two years, right? Um, I was like, if I dropped everything I was prioritizing right now and put all of my energy into working towards trying out and making the roster as kicker number three, I think I have a 30% chance of succeeding. It's a very particular number, <laughs> but you, you do need to try out. And even if they, but if they offered you a spot, the podcast is dead. So you got to, you know, you got to decline <laughs> it, but you should still go out there and see how you, how many you knock down and you'll be able to get a glimpse of, you know, what other people are doing, get the feel on the ground. But yeah, man, uh, you should do that. But, um, you know, I just wanted to point out that we lost on a 48 yard field goal. So, you know, w- Nick said we do we have had kickers in the past, Robertson Thompson, that have gotten the job done from 40 and in. But somehow it seems like every opponent we play, somehow these other schools find guys that can hit from 50 at the FCS level, you know, not consistently, but you know, you know, that kick was not time. good from 50. Just want to say that. That kick yeah, was yeah. not good. That kick was not good from 49. Yeah, clear so, yeah. But yeah. still. But he still, but yeah, he still hit it. Um, you know, it's, it seems like we don't have, we've never really had that guy that we can call on to knock down from even 45 and in, um, and, but, but the Charleston Southern, the kickers long in this career was 56. So that's, that's something I just wanted to uh, point that, point that out, but you know, that just really sticks in my craw about like how other schools, you know, Liberty, when we were, when they were in the big South or whatnot, they had guy that could like hit from like 55, 60, something crazy. You know, Georgia State having these these NFL kickers, all these other schools. And, you know, I think we need to, you know, we need definitely need to do a better job of recruiting a kicker. I mean, look, high school kicker recruiting is so weird because it's the only position where the dimensions are literally different. I mean, you're kicking on a larger field goal in high school um, and it really just becomes a confidence thing. You know, kickers have a skill that's not the hardest thing in the world to learn and to do, but it's a skill that not many people have. So guys stand out for the wrong reasons in high school just because they have the big, the biggest leg or they're the most consistent, you know, uh, you got to find the good combination. And I think you just got to go out and talk to special teams coaches and there are a billion diamonds in the rough out there in the kicking world. So it's not as simple as go out and get the best kicker in the state or the number two kicker in the state. You know, there's, there's a lot to it. Yeah, there's a ton to it. The The Coles kicking camps is basically how you get ranked as a kicker in this country. Uh, as a high school kid, you know, you go to, you know, they do like 50 million of them, I swear. Um, and you go and you kick and based on how you do in that, at that camp, they'll give you a, give you a star rating. And, you know, it's, it's one of the few positions that you recruit in college football that is so different than all the others. And you pretty much got to just evaluate it from a, a statistic standpoint of, okay, he hit, 88% of his field goals in high school, as long was this, his kickoffs, you know, we have the data from all 112 kickoffs he had and this many, this percentage went into the end zone, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's so counterintuitive to how the rest of the positions are recruited. You know, you're looking at, you know, footwork and form and speed. Yeah. Times and stuff like that matter, but not like, you know, the, the film has to jump off the page from a position player, whereas you, as a kicker, you're not going to, you know, watch him kick and be like, oh, his, his mechanics are just so great. And, you know, his footwork and all, it's it's all statistics based. And so, you know, you get kids from all over the place that, um, you know, have, have had successful high school careers and they come in and, you know, that adjustment from kicking off a tee in high school 
to kicking off the ground in college has made an impact. Or like, like I mentioned, the dimensions get a little narrower. It's like what, three feet narrower on each side or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, makes a huge difference. You get a lot of squeakers in high school football. Big time, big time. And I'm, I'm a, you know, not to derail us here, but I'm a proponent of high school, college, and NFL all getting just the same hashes. It's ridiculous that all three are different. You get Make them all the same. Make all the uprights close to the same. It's ridiculous that it's that we're still, you know, in high school, the ball can be like 15 feet from the sideline and they just run toss to the field and have their best athlete outrun you. You know, let's, let's keep the ball in the middle. Put the field goals back at the front of the end zone, CFL style. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, let's just implement this just XFL style and just create all these XFL rules and put it into college football and see what sticks. I'm down. Yeah, we're independent. We're independent. We can do whatever the heck we want. So, you know, exactly. I'm all about the eight foot room now. I should start pushing that. But no, everybody would kill me. So I'm not going to do that. But, um, you know, you guys are absolutely right. You know, is there no way, you know, Nick, for coaches to kind of, you know, like you said, evaluate the film and all that? Is there no way for coaches to kind of just see the guys kick live? Like, bring them in for a visit and have them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do like we host, um, you know, the mega camp and all that. And there is a kicking portion of that camp. And I'm sure of the guys that we recruit, we bring them to that camp and we get to evaluate them live. Um, But it's just like any other position. It's, it's one of those where you're not going to know what you're going to get until you stick them out there in a live situation. When there's a live rush, a snap, a hold, right. Wind, whatever it may be, whatever the conditions are, you don't know what you're going to get until, you know, you send them out there and and there's 11 guys coming at it, trying to block it. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they, they bring them in. I mean, I, I know they bring them in uh, for, for different kicking camps and stuff like that over the summer for our prospect camps to evaluate them in person. But, um, you know, I think it's just one of those deals where we've got a loss of confidence for there right now. And they somehow get those, get those guys on the up and up. Do you think right. it's also, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, it really is just all so mental. It's like in the NFL, you know, there are more than 32 guys capable of hitting consistently from 50 plus yards. Um, it's just the most mentally tough guys out there. And even then you see guys miss kicks every Sunday. So it's, it's yeah. tricky. It's yeah. beyond football. Dare I say. Young, young way missed one, missed one, an extra point last week that ended up potentially being huge. We pulled out the win, but maybe it was two weeks ago against uh, green Bay. I can't remember, but then, yeah. You have Justin Tucker, who like hasn't missed an extra point in however many attempts. Like that's why he's the highest paid kicker in the league and has the longest, uh, you know, whatever. It, it, it's one of those deals where yes, it is so mental. It's almost like getting the yips in golf. Like all of a sudden you hit a couple shanks, you lose, you know, one little one little hitch is off in your in your swing, so to speak, um, and and everything's kind of kind of off kilter for a while. And, and do the college coaches have, you know, the college special teams coaches have that skill to kind of evaluate? Because I'm sure most of these special teams coaches, like Coach Buchanan, they have never been kickers. Do, do, do you know, do the college coaches have that experience to evaluate, like, the, the swing, so to speak, of a kicker consistently and see things? I cannot answer that. I'm, like, in my time, I don't remember, you know, Coach Glanton was the special teams coordinator back then. I don't remember him, you know being that mechanical with it. I think, you know, he was more of the big picture of, you know, the schematics of kickoff and punt and, and all of that. I, you know, I don't know. I've, I've always heard of teams have, you know, especially at the, the larger levels, having quality control guys to work with those guys, obviously they can't do anything in practice, but, you know, having someone that truly evaluates just that position, I think is maybe something to, to look into. 
Let's have Kai be our quality control guy on the on the kicking. Um, I'm down. With that. What do you say, Kai? Will you accept the spot on the staff? Absolutely, I'll take it. Um, I had a really good kicking coach in high school who was all into the the mechanics and all that, but you know he knew of the uncertainty that yeah. came with just kicking a football. So I think uh, just having somebody who understands the position uh, goes a long way. Yeah, and understanding you. understanding is not understanding um, in the case of kickers. No question. My, my high school, we we lost to Westminster on Friday, nine to three. They made three field goals, one from fifty. I mean, it's it's critical. And Westminster has a full time kicking coach. Mm-hmm. What gets weird in public schools is sometimes you'll have a kid like um, I covered a game at Pope High School a couple weeks ago, and Pope um, is not you know a great program at the moment, um, but their kicker would hit every ball out the back of the end zone. <laughs> and you know, just the way public school zoning works, it's like you're going to have these randomly super talented specialists at schools who don't win a game <laughs> for two years straight. Rodrigo at Georgia was Sprayberry. Something about we need to recruit more East Cobb kickers. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I didn't realize, you know, Brent Samaglia, who was the kicker for Tennessee and then Georgia Tech, uh, randomly appeared at that Pope game. He was the Walton kicking coach. So that's what he's up to. Yes. Dropping facts on us. So, uh, yeah, I think we've gone through pretty much everything. Um, next week we have Tennessee State. Uh, I think that's a 3 o'clock homecoming star. Is that right, Kai? That is correct. Okay. So I don't know if I'll be there. This guy, uh, I think his name is David, who's a regular follower of mine on Twitter, a.k.a. X. He basically tweet, t- tweeted to me, like, in the first half, if we don't win, I don't even want to go to the game next week. Um, so I, I tweeted back, okay, can I have your tickets? So uh, I'm going to see if he listens to this and if he follows through on that. Um, but, you know, at this point, it's kind of the same deal. Like, I don't know if I want to go next week. You know, I, I get a lot of I get a lot of work done on the, you know, writing out the summaries, thoughts, you know, as it's going on in the Word document where, you know, if I went to a game like the Chattanooga game, I just don't feel like my insight and my notes would be as detailed because I'm not going to, you know, I don't have the time. Okay, that's a lie. I do. I don't want to uh, rewatch it. So that's fair. And also not to make the same point again, but the uh, broadcast crew from uh, Charleston Southern, they were much better than the Chattanooga guys, but the, not the play by play, but basically the other guy sounded like Jocko Willink, like, yeah, they really are rushing the passer today. I mean, it was crazy. So I did Barclay tagged me in and I muted and I, I I got the, the, the play-by-play from Nolan and Barclay to match up with where I was. So I didn't have to listen to it any longer. So he actually came in and introduced himself before the game. Um, uh, and I thought the same thing about his voice looked nothing like what he sounded, which was, you know, a really weird throw off. But, you know, he seemed like a super nice guy. So, <laughs> you know, not going to hate on him. But they had two names. So that's really all I cared about now. Yeah. Uh, we'll always remember Mets, though. You know, like C- C- you, got, you got Madonna, Cher, Seal, uh, Liberace. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few here. Prince. Um, so, you know, we have we can add Mets to that mix at Tennessee Tech. Um, and yeah, that's really all I have. So you guys have any any final final notes, anything that you want to say, any shout outs, anything like that? Not at all. We went a cool 90 minutes. All right. Good cool. episode. Hey, thanks for joining me, Kai. Uh, as always, uh, Nick, we appreciate you uh, being our regular here. Thank you so much. And me and Kai will be back on the midweek, uh, probably on Thursday this week. We got a soccer win to talk about.
Oh yeah. And uh, volleyball split the weekend as well, but yeah, we got that soccer win. That was exciting. So uh, we'll be right back at you with some more notes. I know we're going to discuss uh, some things like Adidas versus Nike is Kennesaw state switching and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So you guys have a great uh, week ahead and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter at KSU Owl Howl and at Big Owl Blog. You can also view additional content on BigOwlBlog.com. And be sure to join the online community of Owl fans at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until our hosts return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, Go Owls!